Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chair, David Campbell, and today we're going to be talking about preferential bidding. As I'm sure many of you know, it is right around the corner, and we are going to be talking about how to prepare yourself for it. To do that, I brought in your scheduling committee chair, Scott Rubin. Scott, thanks for coming in here. And uh, I'll let you introduce your team in just a minute, because there's a, a lot of people who've been working really hard to get this up and running and, and ready to go live. Um, I want to also mention that a bit of congratulations are in order. You are also the MEC secretary-elect. So uh, among other things, uh, I believe that means you'll be stepping down from your role as the chair of the scheduling committee. Yeah, that's correct, David. Last week, the MEC elected me as secretary of the MEC, so... I'll be changing roles. I'm looking forward to the challenges in the, of the new role. How that will work is at the next MEC meeting, the MEC will interview and elect the new scheduling chair. However, my term doesn't end until March 1st, so I'll continue for the next uh, you know, month, month and change. Scott, the scheduling committee has got a really deep bench, so we're, we're well covered, wouldn't you say? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're going to talk to some of them today, but uh, one thing that has made the scheduling committee strong is we have a, a lot of talent on the scheduling committee, real high work ethic, very involved in a lot of aspects of the scheduling committee. So our bench is pretty deep when it comes to subject matter experts, and I, I'm very confident we'll do just fine moving forward. Okay, Scott. So in your committee that there's a lot of people doing a lot of work, it's a little bit more of a narrow focus as we go into the PBS working group. Explain what that is and, and then maybe introduce your team for me. So the PBS working group is made of three committee members. When we negotiated the PBS language, the contract basically formed this committee. And two MEC meetings ago, the MEC passed a resolution to actually formally create the committee so that we have a chair as well as the other two members. This was important for a couple of reasons. One, all of their output carriers that have PBS in general have a PBS committee. So this better aligns us with what else is going on in ALPA, as well as gives structure to and specific subject matter experts to one committee. So who we have with us today is uh, Ben Brooks. Ben is our PBS chair. A lot of you might know Ben from the Virgin America days. He ran PBS Flicka for Virgin America. He's also been very involved in our current committee, builds lines for a few of our bases each month, San Francisco and LAX, and he's done many stints of building Portland as well. John Owens from San Francisco, he helped negotiate and bring NABLU to Horizon before joining Alaska, where at Alaska, he's volunteered both on contract compliance, the scheduling committee, as well as being a rep in San Francisco. And then Jake Woods, he's been a member of the scheduling committee for years, not only as our pairing and line representative, but our optimizer SME. All three of these gentlemen bring unique skills to the PBS working group, and I couldn't ask for a better team. So as you'll learn today, these Three gentlemen have done just a ton of work on PBS implementation, clear back to when the vendor was selected, to helping the negotiating committee write our 
PBS language in the CBA. And most recently, doing a lot of testing in the PBS, as well as developing a syllabus and training our PBS ambassadors. Okay, thanks, Scott. Ben, maybe you could fill us in on the current status of PBS and how we got to where we are today. Sure, David. Thanks. As Scott mentioned, it's been a multi-year process. Going back uh, almost five years, we started looking at vendors when it became clear that PBS might be a way that the MEC wanted to go for our new contract. That was delayed with the contract. And in, uh, I believe it was 2022, when the contract negotiations started up again in earnest, uh, it became clear that the MEC wanted to go with PBS. And so we had selected a vendor, NavBlue, at that time. And we got to negotiating all of the rules for the new CBA that were going to cover PBS. When that contract was ratified, we started talking directly with NavBlue, the vendor, and uh, getting all of our customizations and all that sort of stuff sketched out. And they started working on that about a year and a half ago. And for that uh, last year and a half, we've been uh, working with them and getting into testing all of the new modules and features that they've created for us and all the customizations that they have to do to put our contract into their PBS system. Which brings us to today, as Scott mentioned, we trained up our PBS ambassadors last week. So there's 20 ambassadors that'll be out in the bases doing base sits. They'll be available online for uh, support for all of you learning to do bidding with PBS. And we are uh, rapidly approaching the beginning of mock bidding here in a couple of weeks on February 12th. All right, Ben, you brought up the mock bidding and which I'm really glad we're doing. We're not going to have to jump right into this. Jake, could you explain what the mock bidding is? What's the timeline for that and what people can expect? Hey, thanks, David. The training materials are available now on the pilot webpage under the PBS tab. As far as mock bidding goes, um, that is scheduled to start on Monday, February 12th. And then that's the day that you'll be able to log in to NavBlue. Uh, we will not be able to log in any earlier as there's a lot of prep and setup to get ready. There's going to be three rounds of mock bidding and each is between five and six days. That'll give you time to enter your bids, ask some questions, and then there'll be a couple days to process the bids and go over the results before moving on to the next round. The entire process is gonna run through about March 15th. Again, the specifics on the timeline is all available under the PBS tab on the pilot webpage. And don't forget that if you participate in all three rounds of mock bidding, that you're gonna be rewarded with 10 hours of pay. There was a strong desire to get participation level up really high during mock bidding. And that will give us a better look at the results and what you got. Jake, can I highlight something you brought up a minute ago there that the NavBlue access really won't be available until the 12th. So pilots won't see it right now, but they will later. How, how does that work? How do you finally actually access the NavBlue? Yeah, that's correct, David. NavBlue itself is a web app, so it's nothing that you need to download and be prepared for. Starting on day one of mock bidding on February 12th, there will be a link on the pilot webpage under PBS that will open that for you. And you'll click on that and that'll open the mock bidding NavBlue web app for you. 
Okay, great. You mentioned some training materials that are going to be available on the pilot webpage. What are those going to look like exactly? How will those be helpful to pilots? They're available now and they're in the form of both videos and PDFs. Some of the more simple tasks are just PDFs. And then we do have some narrated video walkthroughs of how to do some of the basic things as well as the more complicated tasks. It was a collaborative effort with the change management team, David Shin, as well as Terry Connor. We developed all of this material for our own use since it's a bit of a, a customization for our Alaska pilots. And we gained a lot of feedback from pilots as we were going along and were able to implement that in the training as we were developing it. Additionally, there's a podcast that you can re-listen to. We made a while ago as we started the TA rollout. It's a TA3 PBS and trip construction podcast. Will that training be paid like distance learning? No, David, it won't. The reference material is there for you to review, and we highly encourage you to do so. The 10 hours of pay is for the mock bidding. So in order for you to receive the pay, each mock bid, make sure you submit the submit button because that's how payroll will be able to track who entered a bid. So it's kind of a package deal. You'll get the best result if you go through the training materials, but the trigger is participating in the mock bids to get the pay. Is it worth backing this up with a screenshot? 100%. And in fact, on the scheduling summary for March, I have a picture of one in the summary so you can see what that confirmation looks like. Okay, great. Thanks. John, I'll turn to you. I know you all have been training pilots to be PBS ambassadors. Can you talk about what was involved in that training and how they can be of assistance to pilots? Thanks, David. As Ben mentioned, we had uh, 20 line pilots who volunteered to receive some advanced training in NavBlue. They came in for a a two-day training session on NavBlue and working with the pilot groups and training them up. They will be doing airport sits for in-person questions as we uh, go through the mock bidding process. You'll have opportunities for live sessions using Teams during the mock bids. So anybody that needs one-on-one can screen share and receive personalized instructions. They'll also be answering darts and phone calls. We'll have a schedule for the ambassadors up that will show their live availability as well as the airport sits. There are multiple ways to get in touch with somebody for help with PBS. We'll have Alpa Dart using the PBS topic. There's pilot underscore PBS underscore support at alaskaair.com. You can search PBS on the Alaska Air site and it'll pop up. There's also the PBS hotline, 833-252-7271. When somebody calls that, it's going to ring all our phones. So you might get a live person answering immediately, or you may leave a message and we will get back to you as soon as we can. And if I can put a plug in there, David, for everybody to save the PPS hotline phone number in their phone, I'll say the number again, but I'm sure you can put it in the show notes. It's 833-252-7271. Yeah. And I, I'll, all of this will be in the show notes. But uh, yeah, I, I would encourage you as well to, to save that in your phone. And John, you mentioned the airport sits. Where can pilots go to find out where to meet up with a PBS ambassador? There will be a schedule for the ambassadors on the PBS tab, and that'll be updated as the sits get scheduled. Okay. And before we move on, I want to 
put out one word of caution here about using training materials from other companies. Could you speak to that for a minute? Yeah, there's going to be, if you go on Google, you'll probably be able to dig up training materials or you'll have friends with training materials from other airlines. While some of that's useful, a lot of it is going to be different since our system's customized for us. So for now, it'd be better for people to stay with the Alaska training materials. Okay, thank you. Scott, let's talk some of the details about that 10 hours of pay. How will that work? Yeah, David, there's three rounds of mock baiting. Pilots that participate in one, you get two hours of pay. If you participate in two rounds, you get a total of five hours of pay. If you participate in all three rounds, you get 10 hours of pay. And again, make sure you hit the submit button when you're putting in your bid so that payroll can track who gets paid. That seems like a pretty good deal. Why did the company agree to this, do you think? Well, I think when we were looking at ways to incentivize a pilot group that didn't have PBS before, how to get the highest participation possible so that the results will mirror a real world scenario as best we could. That high incentive was important to get that participation. So I think both parties agreed that this is a unique way to incentivize people to participate. And I think it was pretty generous for the amount of money and the time it will take you to do it. And who's able to participate in this and get paid? The short answer is any eligible bidder for the March or April bid will be eligible to participate. But basically, unless you are out on a leave of absence where you're not on payroll, you'll be able to participate and enter a bid and get paid. If you're on the payroll, but you're not an eligible bidder, yeah, you'll still be able to log into NABLUE, enter a bid. You won't receive an award, but you still get the pay. So just to put a finer point on that, pilots who have been out on one of the leaves that you'd find in Section 13, like a personal leave, emergency, parental, et cetera, those pilots won't receive pay for the practice bidding. They can do it, but they won't receive pay. But this is different than the leaves offered by the company a few months ago and also different than the incentive lines just offered. In those cases, even though you're away, you will get paid. That's correct. Okay. And if you have any specific questions about whether you qualify or not, what's the best way to get that answered? I would say uh, either send in a dart or if you want to know your specific scenario, send in a dart and we'll get, get it answered through that or you can call the PBS hotline. Okay, thanks. All right, well, once the mock bidding is complete, what's next? Once the mock bids are done, we'll convene the JIPWIG and the ambassadors and review the processes and outcome to identify any changes in the additional training that we should set up before live bidding. So you'll gather data from how the mock bid went. What will you do with that data? How will that serve you? Yeah, so we'll look for specific pain points that pilots may have had with the training and try to emphasize that in the updated training materials before the go live, which is gonna be uh, April 1st for the May bid period. Yeah, for uh, another example might be that if we notice that we're getting towards the end of bidding and we have a large number of people that haven't actually submitted a bid, we can update the training and put out some materials to remind you, submit your bid and here's what you're looking for to make sure that the bid was submitted. So this will give your committee a chance to make sure the pilots are understanding the process. And if there's any maybe pitfalls, you, you can change those. But the 
the back end tech work from NavBlue, that's pretty much locked down by that point. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It gives us an opportunity to adjust and and in, in real time, we can update the ambassadors very quickly so that when they're out there on the line and doing the airport sits and talking to pilots, we, we they could have them emphasize those new training points. Okay. And then I know you mentioned it, but it's definitely worth highlighting. This thing is real April 1st. We'll start bidding for the May bid period. That's correct. I mean, this is our three chances, David, to learn the system, make a mistake, in the mock bid where it doesn't matter, doesn't impact your life, learn from that mistake, fix it in the subsequent rounds so that you can go into the live bidding April 1st for the May bid period with confidence that you can do this program. And, and I am confident that our pilot group can do this. I mean, if you think about it, over 60,000 pilots in this country bid using PBS every bid period. The same with our flight attendants. They use the same system, although it's customized for the pilots to bid their monthly schedules. So if you do the training material, participate in the mock bids, I think you'll come into the the live bid in April with confidence that you understand it and can do it. All right, well, there's a lot to bidding under a PBS and in in a lot of ways, we're just sort of touching the the tip of the iceberg on, on things people need to know. So we can't possibly cover everything about how to bid in this one podcast, but what maybe we can do instead is if each of you Give me uh, something that you really want to focus on that's in, important and want to make sure people understand. And Jake, start with you. Yeah, I think it's important to understand the basics of bid construction and the logic behind what it's going to do. Simple things like start with the negative bids first and add your positive bids and learn how that is going to affect that bid. The training documents go through that pretty completely but make sure that you have a good understanding of the basic framework for your bid group. Right, Jake, I, I agree with all that. And as part of that logic, it's important to get an idea when we say negative bids versus positive bids. So the negative bids would generally come first in your bid group. And you're essentially saying, here's what I don't want. So you take the entire pool of pairings and you, you sort out, I don't wanna fly any red eyes, I don't wanna fly to Newark. And then you've filtered that pool down so that when you start putting in positive preferences, which are, which are what you do want, it's only coming out of that filtered pool that you filtered with your negative bids. So in general, if you want to think about it this way, uh, the different kinds of preferences in NavBlue are color-coded. So negative preferences are yellow and orange, and positive preferences are green. So most cases, you're going to want to have your yellow and orange preferences at the top of your bid group, and then you're going to go down into your positive preferences, into your green preferences. Uh, that's just a general rule, but it's a, a good place to start. One of the other things that you need to keep in mind about NABBLUE is there's a bunch of different ways to get to wherever you're trying to go. So these things are, t- there's a lot of techniques, there's a lot of different ways. None of them are necessarily wrong. There's a lot of different ways to get to Rome. Another important point that we like to make is a bid does not have to be complicated in order to be good. You can get everything you want with a relatively simple bid. You don't need to go down multiple rabbit holes and and try and make your bid super complicated, unless you want to, in which case that's fine as well. Another important concept is once you've built your bid, you need to figure out if you're bidding for what you want, and there's a way to do that. 
Yeah, that's the uh, learning how to utilize the analyzer. So as you go through the training material, when we get to the analyzer part, it does several things for you. One, I think, and most importantly, it will help you determine if you have a robust enough bid for your seniority. Obviously, if you're number one on the seniority list, you need to put in a very precise bid. I want to fly these particular trips on these particular days, and you're done and move on. The analyzer will help you either understand how many pairings are left in your pool to pull from to complete your bid, either from the entire bid or for certain aspects of the bid. So you can highlight different parts of the bid that you entered, and it will say, here's how many pairings are in that pool. That can help you understand whether or not you're bidding enough choices for your seniority. John, how about you? What's something you think is important? I think the reasons reports is going to be very helpful for the pilots, especially when they're first starting out building their technique. The reasons report is going to list in order how the system viewed your preferences. It'll give you a very specific reason for each preference and why it was used or not used. There's going to be a lot of new vocabulary there, and you can very easily go to the help tab and search the phrase, and it'll give you a detailed explanation of what that reason was. So when you're first starting out in mock bidding, you may get something completely unexpected, but by reading the reasons report and understanding it, you'll be able to form an idea of how to improve your bid the next time around. Yeah, it really seems like learning how to bid is half the battle during this mock bidding period. You really want to look at those reasons reports to see how you did. And I mean, you'll get the result from the the actual bid that gets returned to you, but understanding why those particular trips showed up on your line is this is what the reason report will do, right? Correct. Yeah. It, it's going to, the analyzer, going back to what Scott said, is going to show you your potential pairings, but the reasons report will show you, it will help you understand why you got what you got most of the time it'll be because a senior bidder already took that pairing but sometimes it'll be something that you did incorrectly and the reasons report will point that out and allow you to change your technique and the reasons report that'll be here after mock bidding as well right that that's a permanent fixture of pbs correct every pilot when they receive their bid award there will be a reasons report for their bid that they can use to understand and if they have questions on it they're welcome to call any of their resources for help interpreting it okay great i imagine there may be a bit of a learning curve for pilots but your the work that you've done is trying to reduce that curve as much as possible and then i would just like to reinforce a point that john made which is speaking of resources that you have in order to figure stuff out the help menu on the NavBlue application is a great first step. So if you go on any of the tabs in NavBlue in the upper right-hand corner, there'll be a circle with a little question mark in it. That's your help menu. Open that up, click on help, and it'll pop up a search bar. You can type in a term from your reasons report. You can type in a name of a preference that you're trying to enter, and uh, that help file will pop up NavBlue's official definition of whatever it is you're looking for. It's a, it's a pretty good resource. It's available to you immediately as you're working on your bid. It's right there in the application for you to use. So that's a good first step. So, and it's pretty robust, right, Ben? And it works kind of like a Google search. So if I put in denial mode, it's going to come up with a definition of denial mode, right? Right. So speaking of denial mode, I think it it sort of sounds negative and people have 
maybe heard a lot of stuff about denial mode. And it's important to understand that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Denial mode is just how the system goes through. And if you don't have enough pairings captured in your positive preferences, NavBlue will start to remove your negative preferences one by one. And that's actually a way that you can get closer to what you're asking for without having to create a hugely complicated bid. So denial mode actually works for you to try and honor your preferences. It's not necessarily a bad thing. That's interesting. If, am I understanding this right? If you didn't have that, it would realize, well, there aren't enough pairings that fit your preferences, so there's nothing available to you. I mean, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it. Denial mode is just a way for you to say, here's all the stuff I don't want. And if you can't honor all of those preferences, then start removing them one at a time so you're still meeting as many of my preferences as you can and you're still giving me pairings that are the most desirable for me without me having to go in and build a hugely complicated bid where I'm being super specific. The denial mode just widens out that filter for you a little bit at a time, adds more pairings into your pool of considered pairings and tries to meet your preferences as best it can. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the same thing that we've been doing with our bid packets for all these years, essentially, right? If I can't get all four weekends off, maybe give me three weekends off, for example. Sure. Or if you, you know, you maybe you go through the lines and you see, okay, well, these 10 lines have red eye trips in them. So I'm going to put them at the bottom of my list. And then only if it goes through all of the lines I did bid and doesn't give me one, then it will start to consider those red eye lines and I can put them in the order that I want to have them. If I have to do a line that has a red eye, then I'd rather have this one than this one. And that's all denial mode is doing. It's just putting those pairings into the order that you would like to receive them. Another thing about denial mode is that it is a tool to allow you to be more specific with your negative preferences and not worry that you're going to create a bid that isn't legal. It allows you to be more specific with your bid without having to worry that you're doing damage to your bid. So another thing you could use the help menu for, for example, is any bid preference that you see, for example, duty on. What does duty on mean? You can put duty on in there and it will explain exactly what parameters it's looking for when it sorts through the pairings and your bid choice. All right, well, thanks guys. I mean, one thing that becomes clear to me as I talk to you is there's a lot to know about this and there's a lot of information available and it's really gonna take a little bit of work for each pilot to do that, to become familiar with how the system works so that they can get the bid that they want. And that's pretty much all located on the pilot web page. Before we close out though, Scott, if you maybe bring this to a close, summarize what are the really important takeaways from this episode? Yeah, sure, David. You know. It's an exciting time for our pilot group. It, change is inevitable. This is a change we view as going to be positive for our pilot group. The better we embrace it, the better the outcome will be. I mean, it's time for you to start preparing for the PBS. You need to get in and start looking at those uh, self-study guides that were developed so that you get a robust understanding going in. Once you digest the material, the self-study guides, and get familiar with the system, Go out there and, and seek out the PBS ambassadors. They're there to help you. Don't be shy. They're all great people that really have a good understanding of the system and are, are willing to be out there to answer your questions. So if you look up and you know they're doing an airport sit, 
go seek them out when you're transitioning the airport to or from a trip or between legs and ask them questions. Even if you think you have a total understanding of the system, at least reach out to them and say, hi, I bet you they can show you something that you didn't know was in there. Also, feel free to call the PBS hotline or, or send an email or DART to get your questions answered. We're trying to make this as robust as we can, but if you don't seek the help, uh, we can't come to your house and, and give it to you. So feel free to reach out to us. And, and keep in mind, like I said earlier, thousands of pilots use PBS every month to bid their schedules, and they do it, some without hardly any training. So go through the training, get the help, and you'll have a successful experience with PBS, I think. Final thing i just close with here is submit, submit, submit. When you build your bids, remember to hit the submit button. One, it captures your pay. Two, it captures your bid. And remember the save button itself only saves it to your local device. So if you're using it on your iPad or desktop, if you hit save, it only saves it there. It doesn't submit the bid. So submit, submit, and submit often so that you don't make a mistake and don't get your bid registered. Well, gentlemen, thank you for coming in here and explaining all this. Looking forward to the change and your help has been immeasurable. So thanks for all your work and thanks I know for all of the continuing work that's uh, about to befall you. And I'd also like to thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chair, David Campbell.